Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. Today's episode of VUX World is featuring Ben McCulloch. He joins me and Dustin to discuss intonation and how you say something being just as important as what is actually said. We discuss text-to-speech, the current situation of text-to-speech and where text-to-speech needs to go if it is going to build trust with us on our voice assistants. We discuss human-recorded voices and and what qualities the human voice has that we need to bring into our voice experiences. Ben discusses it all and we've got a load of examples of some different types of audio and different types of uh, voices and how the intonation within the voice can get across trust to make the experience generally more pleasurable. Now, if you're thinking of making your voice experiences generally more pleasurable, then you should check out Read Speaker. They create custom text-to-speech voices for some of the biggest brands in the world. And you don't have to have one custom created. You can choose from over 90 high-quality voices if you just want to grab one that's off the shelf, but that's still different and unique compared to some of the other built-in, if you like, text-to-speech voices that you'll find on most voice assistants. Now, we chat to Ben today about how we're working with an audio-first medium and how do brands differentiate themselves in an audio-first medium. One of those ways is with a unique brand voice, a voice that represents everything that your brand stands for, your brand values and your brand personality. You'll have a very hard time doing that and in a scalable way with voice talent or with the current crop of text-to-speech voices because they're all far too standard. So if you would like to create a custom brand voice, a text-to-speech voice that you can use to generate content on the fly and deploy in any channel like IVRs, conversational systems, voice assistants, robotics and robots and things like that, cars or general automotives, public announcement systems, learning platforms, websites, anywhere that you need to have a custom voice or a brand voice, you should check out Reed Speaker. To learn more, go to readspeaker.com or you can check out the link in the show notes or on the webpage. Now, without further ado, this is Ben McCulloch talking about how you say something being just as important as what you say on VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. VUX World. Branding with the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about boys. Now, further ado, welcome to the show. Dustin, happy Monday. Happy Monday to you, Kane. How's it going? Very well. Very well. It's been a showery afternoon, um, but it's not too bad. It's going all right, yeah? How about you? How was your weekend? It's pretty okay. We're headed into day 35 of the strikes here. So this is this is the new normal. We just don't have any buses or trains. This is our life now. I bet you've lost about half a stone of you doing all that walking. I, I don't quite know what a stone is, but probably. <laughs> probably. Probably seven pounds is about half a stone, I would think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd say so. Yeah. I've lost weight over Christmas, believe it or not. Did you? Yeah. How do you what's the what's the Christmas diet? I have no idea. I have quite a lot of biscuits with tea, I think. I think that's what it is. Not having biscuits over Christmas has probably uh probably helped. Mm. What about you, Ben? Did you overindulge over the festive period? 
Um, it wasn't a huge overindulgence. It was, um, you know, you have to get some quality street in. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not possible to sit and watch films with your family at Christmas in Britain and not eat a few quality street, right? That is and, true. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, you know, it was, it was nicely easy going. I just sat back and watched the kids eat all the sweets. I bet you did. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I didn't have any quality street this year. I'm starting to think as I've missed out a little bit here. But maybe if I did, then maybe I wouldn't have lost a tiny, tingy bit of weight. And I haven't lost much weight, but it's just like a tiny, what's tiny. A, what's a quality street? <laughs> oh, it's it's a, um, it's like a box of chocolates, and it's like a lot of different types of chocolates, like truffles and toffees, and you know hazelnuts and mm. all this kind of stuff, all in a big massive tub uh and it's typically the only time i ever see them is over christmas i don't think they do sell them all year uh, round but they must do like christmas promos or something do they yeah. is there one of those those nice ones where it's a it's a surprise or is there a little map inside no there's a whole map yeah yeah there's, yeah, there's yeah. no such room for spontaneity with the, <laughs> no. with the quality street and usually everybody knows what's their favorite flavor because they're all color coordinated that's so, true you know that i go true. for blue or yellow i never touch the red ones because i don't want the strawberry sweet what about the green yeah the strawberry ones are the bit to be but strawberry and coffee is always the last one left in the tub but yeah <laughs> beware of the coffee sweets yeah 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 but i think the green triangle has got to be man or the purple hazelnut toffee little uh swirl thing whatever it's called uh, yeah, yeah. And my, my daughter was collecting the coloured wrappers and making art from them, so that was nice. Ah, that's Just, nice, you know, yeah. Reusing it because they're all basically plastic and tin, aren't they, I think? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so not, not the best, not the best. But anyway, Ben McCulloch, welcome to VUX World. All the way over from, is it Czech Republic, where you are? Yeah, that's right. I'm in a, a wee city called Brno. It's like the second biggest city in the Czech Republic. Right. Um, after Prague, of course. But, but obviously not from there historically, no. given the uh, the accent. So you've yeah. been living over there for what, seven years, you say? Yep, seven years. Um, so I'm originally from Scotland. Um, so I was born in Edinburgh and then I grew up on a tiny little island called Butte, which uh, is west of Glasgow's population of 7,000 people. And... In my time there, I would say, you know, as with most of the uh, kids growing up there, you, there's not many job opportunities. So you're thinking of what you want to do. And my obsession became sound, you know, it started with music. And then from there, I got into sound design and voice and other aspects of sound. But yeah, that was really it. Um, so you've so, got yeah. Conch Design, which is yes. your company, your, and, and you specialize in sound design, is that right? Yeah, well, really, Conch Design is essentially me as an audio lead. Um, so what I offer is uh, voice production. You know, it can be working with live voice talents or text-to-speech, as well as sound design, music composition. I write music as well. And uh, uh, project coordination and even going into localization because I've worked in quite a few different fields all related to audio audio production. So where did your kind of path cross with the, the current kind of voice ecosystem and, and the world of voice assistants and voice interfaces? Where did that, where did that come from? Yeah, it's maybe kind of a, a bit of a long and meandering story, but I'll, I'll try and keep it fairly tight. Um, 
So when I first moved to the Czech Republic, I was, as I am now, a freelance sound engineer, and I applied to various studios. And uh, there's one very good uh, TV post-production studio called Sound Square, where I worked for quite a few years. Um, and so there I was predominantly working as a dialogue editor, which means that you're taking the the recordings of the actors uh, as they're... You know, as they're filming on set, they're filming the video, but of course, at the same time, they're recording the sound, which is predominantly uh, the actor's lines, what they're saying. And I was editing these recordings. Um, you know, usually any scene that you see in a film or TV show is a composite of many different recordings. They might have actually been doing the same scene for a few days. So I would have to fit that all together and basically make a cohesive conversation out of it between the actors. Uh, quite often, you know, we, we had to be quite creative, you know, like in most productions, things don't go quite to plan or even in the edit, they, they have to really shorten things, which means that we have to do little tricks to, to try and... Uh, pretend that the actors were saying a different line than what they actually say. Mm -hmm. um, and in those kinds of cases, or if the dialogue was obscured by, you know, some pesky little explosion in the background, someone blowing up a building or something, then they have to go into ADR, which is almost what we're doing right now. It's, um, you know, uh, you, you take the actor into the studio and they watch themselves on video and they try to match the performance that they did before the right intonation and feeling, emotion, but they often are, are trying to change one or a few aspects of it, such as, you know, give it even more emotion, make it angrier or change the words or something like that. And I really loved that process, you know, doing dialogue in ADR, I got to work with actors like Sean Bean and Jeffrey Rush and um, directors like Ron Howard. And it was mm. really thrilling and quite stressful at times because it's high pressured but I loved it and what, what, so, so let's just jump in and cut in for one sec what does ADR stand for for, for those people who are not from the TV world? Sure thing um, it's most often uh, thought to mean uh, automated dialogue replacement but there are actually I think a few you know nobody's actually totally sure what it means there are a few terms in film that are like that one of them is mos which means they they film without sound but nobody actually knows why it's called mos apparently it was a german director said records this without sound and it stuck so um, uh so yeah adr is yeah automated dialogue replacement let's call it that and um yeah, so it's essentially getting the actor to repeat their performance. With a big production like Lord of the Rings, they did that apparently for 90% of the dialogue. Basically, everything was replaced to get a better recording quality and uh, maybe alter the intonation and try and improve it. So you've got a lot of experience trying to take uh, audio that was captured elsewhere and match it to a specific scene or environment i'm assuming you record something in a studio but the clip is set outside or in a bathroom or something like that you've got a lot of work to do to make that dialogue sound not only as if it was spoken by the person at the time but also to make it sound as though it's actually recorded in that same environment 
Yeah, huge amount. I mean, you know, some of those tasks are taken by the mixer. I would just prepare it for the mixer and they would perhaps apply the echo that tells you the voice is in a, an auditorium or a, or a bathroom or anywhere. Um, but things like if, if we're having to re-record the actor, you know, to, to get them to repeat their performance in ADR, then maybe they would come in and you can see that uh, the two people on screen are perhaps five meters away from each other. But the actor just speaks quite quietly when they're uh, in ADR. So we would have to encourage them, you know, give it more projection. You've got to imagine that this has to get to the ears of this other person you're speaking to who's actually five meters away just to make it more believable. It's all about believability. Um, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the main aim of it. It's not as much about any technical process as it is just about making believable characters and conversations that all uh, serve the story, you know, the intention of where this thing is, uh, what, what the story is trying to tell. Does it make sense? Yeah. And is, is that where you're, is that how you got interested in voice then in terms of you've had a lot of time crafting dialogue and editing dialogue? Is that how you led? You were led to sort of voice or was there something else? Yeah, there was another stage. Um, I mean, you know, as I was doing this, that was really my world and I was very in it and enjoying post-production, but it's, it's usually crunch atmosphere, you know, um, long hours and so on. And so uh, there was a lot of crunch and then suddenly a big project uh, we were supposed to work on just suddenly vanished. And uh, my daughter was born, my first child, and I was suddenly thinking, you know, I need to do something. So with my wife, we agreed to move from Prague to Brno. And when we got here, you know, very luckily, almost as soon as we got here, I discovered there is uh, one of the uh, one of the biggest localization companies, uh, Moravia IT, which became they were bought by RWS, and it became RWS Moravia. So it's in the top five localization companies in the world. They were looking for an audio lead. So I got that job. And while I was working with them, I was doing localization projects for Microsoft and so on, where we were, uh, you know, taking their tutorial videos and converting them into all the languages of the world and coordinating voice actors to make these recordings and so on. And it was at that point that I discovered voice tech and voice interfaces and uh, I got really excited and decided that's what I want to be working on you know that it was kind of one of these moments where you're just like everything that I've been working on so far seems to fit into this new area where it's not quite so well defined so I feel that what I know could be very useful mm. you know I, I could be another useful voice so to speak in in this area so um yeah that's basically it um in the meantime i do soundtracks for video games as well in uh, mm. indie video games it's kind of a passion of mine to you know write music and create sound design cool so what then struck you uh, as i mean we've done a few episodes on on sound design and i used to sort of to like make music and stuff like that in the past and stuff. So it's always sort of something that's sort of near and dear, I suppose, to my heart. And it's something that I'm kind of always trying to bang the drum about a little bit. And 
when you first started taking a look at the voice industry, the voice ecosystem, voice assistance, given your experience with dialogue editing and working a lot with recorded language, if you like, what were some of the things that sort of struck you initially when you first come across things like Alexa, Google Assistant, stuff like that from a, from a sound off from a dialogue perspective? Yeah, um, sure. It's it's really interesting because, you know, the first time I heard text-to-speech, I was like, really? <laughs> People are actually happy to listen to this? And that's just because I was spoiled. You know, I was working with very good actors, so I really heard emphatic voices who were focused on presenting things in a very good and strong way. So text-to-speech at first, you know, I've got used to it because, of course, it has its place. It's extremely useful um, by the fact that you can work very quickly, you can iterate quickly, and, of course, it's cheap. So it has its uses. Uh, This was one of the first things that stood out to me. And another thing is that uh, the emphasis on audio, uh, for me, it, it seems... And, you know, I could have this wrong, so perhaps you can correct me, but it seems that not so many uh, VUI designers are thinking that they're actually making audio. You know, for the end user, all, all they will receive is audio. So it has to sound good. It has to, you know, the, for example, um, a VUI designer could create their script as in, the words that the text-to-speech or perhaps a voice actor would say. And they could convince themselves that they've made a brilliant script and it's like, hey, great, job done. You know, I've I've written something which really uh, represents our design, what we want it to be. But then, of course, that's not how the user will receive it. They will hear it. And when you take your script and it's, you know, transferred to a voice, it is a transformation and some things are improved and some things actually uh, get, uh, you know, they, they need fixed. <laughs> there are, you know, you can, you can end up with uh, the wrong intonation on, on a line in the script, which actually gives it a different meaning than what you intended. You know, if you're doing a healthcare app, you, I would say you have to be so careful to, to get the trust of the user and to make sure that they're um, comfortable giving intimate details. And if you're coming across like, you know, if the voice sounds like some kind of really, you know, brash or overly confident or perhaps even slightly angry type of character, then of course that's going to get the wrong result. Um, You know, the way I see it is that you have the the who as in the personality of who is speaking you have what they say the script and then you have how they say it and these three things really have to work in sympathy with each other um you know the uh the the intonation can really make a huge difference to the end result so so what you were saying then is at the beginning when you first heard text to speech is that it misses. So what does it miss? Does it out of who is speaking, what is said and how it's said out of those three things, does text to speech fail on all of them or does it fail on some of them or where does, where does it let itself down? Uh, well, um, in term, you know, in terms of who is speaking with text to speech, 
you have a generally, you know, if we think of like uh, Amazon Poly, uh, we have quite a few options in the most uh, common languages or the, the languages that Amazon are really focusing on, like American English. They have quite a few uh, different voices there. So with that, you could perhaps create some kind of persona which is, you know, represents the brand or whatever your your aim of your design is. Uh, what the voice will say, that's really up to you. I think text to speech, you know, it's not going to write the script for you, so that's um, that's not really so relevant. But then, I would say the last part, how it's said with text to speech, that's where the real challenge is, because if you know, if if you take your line of script and put it into the text-to-speech engine with no SSML and you play it back, then you might be lucky and you might get the right intonation and it might sound uh, correct for the scenario. And if it isn't, how much chance have you got that you can fix it? You know, how far can you go with SSML? There's no... As as far as I know at the moment, uh, Amazon have happy and sad emotions and then there's a newsreader and you know i'm in no way knocking them because still the advances are massive constantly text-to-speech is getting better but from the point of view of creating the right intonation you know with ssml you really can't do so much it's it's quite limited you, you can't simply create some emotion which you're aiming for you know i, I would say the the things that it does best is that it, you can help uh, with the user's cognition. You can slow things down and give them pauses. And those are, of course, extremely useful, but it doesn't affect the, the intonation or the personality or the character. You know, you're, you're not able to create an identity with SSML from my perspective. Hmm. Interesting. So what about... Um so Amazon, the Amazon suite of stuff is one thing, like the Amazon Poly uh, suite of voices that you can use. Google have um, kind of their, they've got a number of different voices that you can choose from, can't you? And SSML, I mean, we've worked with SSML quite a lot, and you're right that it, you do have trouble making it pronounce things in, in certain ways if you want to convey like emotion or something like that. But what about things like some of the things that are touted as pretty good is your likes of Liarbird. Do you come across Liarbird? Yeah, sure, sure. So I'll, yes. I'll play a little clip here and it'll be interesting to get your perspectives on how this sounds compared to something like Alexa. So I'll just play it. Let me see if this works. One second. Here we go. Hi, everybody. This night, I am happy to share with you a small announcement about a cool startup called Liarbird. They launched today their website where you can create a digital copy of your voice. They only need you to record one minute of audio. This is just the beginning and they are working hard to improve their results. What about that? Is that is that better than Alexa sounding? Does it still sound fairly weak? What are your thoughts on something like Liarbird? I know it's yeah, been acquired well, now, so it's probably not going to be available anymore, but you know, on the premise of a text-to-speech voice. Yeah, I, I, as far as I know, with their acquisition, it's something brilliant that they're working in a podcast uh, company, which, yeah. Um, it's Descript, I think, isn't it? So I think, yeah, 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 and I know a lot of people are very excited about that. Um, well, the thing with that is that it's voice cloning, right? Um, so what they allow you to do is 
you, um, for example, if you wanted to clone your voice, Kane, uh, I imagine they have the, the tool where you would do it. So you'd record a certain amount of material and then you could synthesize your voice saying whatever you want. And from what I hear there, you know, that was Barack Obama, right? Yeah. 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 At least you guessed so, it. At least you guessed yeah. it. No, it's clearly him. And this is a slightly different area where they've copied his intonation simply because they had that material to work with. And it does sound like him. You know, I, I can tell that's synthesized. It's, it's definitely not a live recording of him, but still it's very good. And, um, but then if you had that material and you wanted to make Barack Obama say something, you know, in a, in any kind of way, like to be wistful, you know, to suddenly be very uh, subtle and, you know, like, like he's speaking to his daughter when, I think he has a daughter, when he's speaking to his, his child when he's putting her to bed, you know, you speak in a different way. It's like you use your kind of tender, close voice. Like I, I speak to my kids in a completely different way than I speak to anybody because um, this is just how we use our voice. These are just like fundamentals of how we express ourselves. And I think that in voice design, we need to be able to use those fundamentals. You know, the, the, the fact that uh, we do speak differently in different scenarios. So that's what I would get at. You know, really, to me, that Lyrebird example sounds very good. Um, I just wonder, like, where you could go from there if you were going to use it in some kind of design. Um, I, I did a bit of work with a, a company from Toronto called Resemble, who are also doing voice cloning, and their results are very good. Um, and what it's really doing is you're solving a few problems. You know, you're solving the fact that you can create content very quickly. You're solving the, the fact that recording voice actors is usually very expensive. And, and you also need to give them extremely clear guidance on what you want. Otherwise, they just have to guess. Um, you know, good ones will, of course, ask you, but still you need to know what you're going to tell them. Uh, but I think what's happening is that we're solving problems, but the, the aspect of intonation, which if you hire a voice actor, you get their intonation as part of the fee. You know, you get their personality and their intonation. They will look at your script and think of the best way to present this. And that's what you'll get. But if we use voice cloning or text-to-speech, we solve a lot of problems, but the intonation hasn't been solved. Someone still has to design that. And traditionally, you know, using a voice actor, it would have been the actor, and now it's up to the designer. I even wonder if this isn't going to be a new job role in the future, because surely there's going to be a lot of content that's going to need this kind of uh, manipulation to, to find how things should be said in different contexts. Maybe I'm just trying to create a job for myself because I know it's exactly what I would like to do. But, you know, I really want, you know, it's like, who is, you know, if, if, if we have a lot of content that we need to, to say in the right way to really strengthen the message that's in the script, you know, the best people for that are the voice actors, the voice directors, the ones who are really 
uh, in tune with these nuances of voice. You know, I think it, it took me quite a long time to train my ears to hear these things because it seems that instinctively we know when it's wrong, but it's, it's really hard to actually uh, say how to improve it. It's actually mm -hmm. one of the problems of working with audio that we don't really have a well-defined language for talking about sound. If I can pick a little bit out of thread that you're saying here, and I, I'm making this up at the spot, so I may be way off, but when we think about Lyrebird or these neural voices that are coming through Poly now, if I'm understanding you correctly, it sounds like we're getting to a point where these voices sound real, mm -hmm. but they don't sound human. Yeah. If we can, if we can make that distinction there. Yeah, it's, it's the interesting thing. It's like uh, the... It's becoming more and more convincing that you're listening to a real person, but that's kind of creating this interesting challenge that you can tell it sounds like a human, but there's something strange about it because it's so perfect sounding, but it has no emotion. You know, um, this, uh, I, I've, I would say that one of the worst things that uh, voice designers could possibly do is to try and convince the user that it is a real person because um, you know there are these subtle clues that we pick up on. Ivan, I wonder if maybe we could use one of the examples I've prepared for you because I think this would be a good moment. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Which one do you want to look at? Every breath you take. Right. Every breath you That's, take. It's called Sting. Sting. In, Alexa yeah. Sting. Is that the one? Yes, that one, please. Right. Okay, queuing it up now, mm -hmm. here we go. Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take I'll be watching you, every single day, every word you say, every game you play, every night you stay I'll be watching you. Bit of okay. Stay. Yeah, so I'm you know the song, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, if, if you imagine a scenario like if there's a skill which is a lyric skill, somebody knows their favorite song and they want to hear the lyrics. You know, there are many websites that do that. You can look up the lyrics to every breath you take, which is, of course, what I did to get that material. But when you read the words on the screen, you, you know, you're essentially just reading the lyrics or perhaps in your head you're singing along. But if you hear someone actually saying them out loud, it's like the intonation. For me, the, the intonation of Alexa there is a little bit creepy. It's like <laughs> it sounds a little bit chilling, whereas when Sting sings it, he uh, to me, he sounds almost paternal. You know, it, it sounds like it could be a song between lovers, but at the same time, he's like, I'm going to protect you. I care about you. I'm going to protect you. But the actual truth of that song, which he's admitted, is that he wrote it about a stalker. Mm. So, so there is a little bit of sinister kind of uh, vibe to it. Yeah, it's just that the way he sings it in such a sweet and soft and caring way, I think is the reason why most people are completely unaware of what this song is actually about. I think... And I hope that none of your listeners are now uh, unhappy about this, but I think, you know, people actually have this played at their weddings and so on. 
with you know and they're unaware of this fact and it's like it's an amazing song it's it's brilliant and it's beautiful and i can listen to it and forget this fact that he actually wrote it with that in mind so the reason uh, i wanted to share this with you is because the intonation of how he sings this song gets a different result than uh, what he apparently actually wrote the song about. Right. Um, and if it's okay, um, there's actually another shorter example I would like to play now, which is HAL 9000. Yeah, HAL 9000. Hello, HAL, do you read me? Do you read me, HAL? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Okay, so very, very famous example of a, a, a voice assistant, so to speak, you know, Hal from the Space Odyssey film. And, you know, one thing I noticed when, uh, you know, like two or so years ago when there was a lot of uh, discussion about these new voice assistants was that people were going on, uh, you know, Amazon Polly and putting in those words to get it to sound like Hal. You know, there's so much excitement about <laughs> that. And really, you know, Hal, he sounds complete, you know, the, the actor spoke with no intonation. That was his point. He wanted it to sound just uh, inhuman. And what happened was Anthony Hopkins, when he was researching Hannibal Lecter for the Silence of the Lambs film, this was his main inspiration for how Hannibal Lecter talks. He wanted it to sound like Hal, you know, with no intonation and to sound uh, basically like he has no empathy. You know, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but my, my mom is a, a psychologist and I was talking to her about this. And, you know, I said to her, Is it, isn't it true that uh, psychopaths, they can't feel empathy? And it's not totally true. It's, it's, of course, more complex than that. But essentially, they, their relation or their ability to empath, empathize is different from most people. And so what I'm kind of leading to here is that, you know, if we have voice assistants who sound like Hal, then I'm kind of drawing the conclusion that we've got unempathetic is the word unempathetic or unempathetic mm -hmm. uh, voices who are perhaps something like a serial killer um, <laughs> you know and I'm not saying that everybody's skill sounds like that but it's something we have to be aware of that that you know if the voice has no empathy then it it could have that effect on people that it's it's chilling it's like mm. the the flip side of it is that sometimes, you might actually really benefit from not having an over emotive voice because that might actually put people at ease. You know, I, I can definitely see the value in that, that sometimes we want the, the persona and the way it speaks to be as subtle as possible so that people don't really focus on it. You know, mm. there's definitely a line to be drawn. Yeah, it is. It is a, um, I mean, if, Alexa, Google Assistant, Siri, all of these voice assistants, if they are to become what these companies would like them to become, which is essentially the companion that is with you at all times, that can be there to serve whatever need you have at any point in time throughout your day, wherever you are, then maybe there needs to be some degree of relationship that you have with it. And it seems as though, for what you're saying, 
intonation and empathy are all things that contribute to a voice assistant being able to build that kind of relationship with people that will have them using it and having a bond with it over time. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I feel. Um, I, I think that now it would really, uh, you know, I think it's very important for designers to think of the, the intonation and the empathy of the assistant. And hopefully in the future, you know, what I would really hope is going to happen is that the ability of the assistant to judge our intonation and empathy would mean that it would become reciprocal. You know, it becomes a loop where it can tell how we're feeling from our intonation and respond to that. You know, um, I really feel, you know, it's, this is how we talk, you know, you know, if, if I'm speaking to you, Kane or Dustin, and you tell me you've had a terrible day, I'm going to change my vocal intonation and I'm not going to think about it. It's not going to be a choice. It's just going to be simply the fact that, you know, as humans, we do care about each other. We do. And our, our voices are so expressive in that way. But I think that uh, for many people, they, they've never really had to think about this or listen closely to it because we just do it. It's incredible how expressive we are with our voices. You know, we, we can do so much with them without really considering what we're actually doing. You've got some KitKat examples here. Yeah. What, what are these KitKat examples? Should we, uh, should we have one I, of these? Yeah, these are interesting. This is more about branding. Um, okay. So if you, I think it's a very good example because KitKat have that slogan, um, have a break, have a KitKat. Right. And this hasn't changed for, I don't know, apparently 60 or perhaps more years because on these adverts, they've been using it. Like the earliest I've got here is from 1962. So really what I was wanting to show with these examples is how you can get a different feeling from the same words, depending on how it's said, you know, the same same branding slogan. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you wouldn't mind starting with the 1962, uh, if we go and make have a break, have a Kit Kat. Very 1962, that in it. Exactly. It's like if if this voice, you know, if if this was used now, it would sound ironic. Nobody talks have a break. about it anymore. Have a Kit Kat. <laughs> it's so you know, golly, you know, <laughs> it's it's so overly formal and. Um, you know, people probably aren't going to respond to that well now because it sounds, it doesn't, they don't connect with it Mm. Um, unless you're going for a kind of ironic effect where, you know, you're trying to reference the 60s. Mm. And then as a a different example would be perhaps rock. Rock, here we go. However you break, have a break, have a Kit Kat. Yeah, so mm. much more energetic and, you know, much more like uh, somebody who you could be sitting next to in the pub, you know. Yeah. Uh, much almost, more. Almost felt as though he was trying to be a bit cool with that, like the little, have a Kit Kat. It was like, you know. Yeah. However you break, have a break, have a Kit Kat. The way he pronounces Kit Kat there, it's almost as if he's like trying to be really cool and hip in it. I will also, that's the, I think it's called the glottal stop where he doesn't actually pronounce everything. He says, have a Kit Kat. 
you know, without ah. it's not Kit Kat. So right. and this kind of thing, it's like it's not actually properly spoken, but it still sounds good. And these are things, you know, these are uh, examples of the way people do speak. Um, you know, in, in Glasgow, they're kind of famous for that, where everything is said, you know, um, th there's not a uh, full enunciation of, of every uh, character or syllable. Mm. Um, and then, I don't know, another example, uh, perhaps uh, the South Africa. South Africa. Here we go. Have a break. Have a Kit Kat. So, of course, a bit of a South African accent on there. And... I mean, what's what's your impression from that? How does it make you feel compared to the others? Have a break. Have a Kit Kat. What do you think, Dustin? I can't separate it too much from the music. It's uh, it's definitely a little more upbeat. It's it's certainly not dour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was almost getting a little bit kind of um, don't know, very very persuasive. Kit Kat, mm -hmm. pronouncing it really, really well, sounded a little bit kind of tongue-in-cheeky, kind of like, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's it's much, uh, in comparison to the rock version, it's more intimate, right? I wouldn't say, you know, she's not being seductive, but it's more like she's up close and she's, you know, just speaking to you, whereas the rock version could be a guy shouting out to a whole room of people. Mm. Um, so... These, you know, examples are just really, I guess, giving you a feel of how the the different ways of saying it could speak to one target demographic or one group of people. And, you know, we, the, the designer should really be considering this, you know, how the final voice will affect the script that they've written. And um, what's the impact of not having, you know, more flexibility over text-to-speech or the impact of not using, you know, recorded voice talent. Like, if, if this, if what you've described uh, so far, which which I, I kind of subscribe to, you know, I do think that when you look at, you know, the world of TV and film and the, all the post-production that goes into it to make everything sound absolutely perfect, and you compare that to... Uh, Smart, let's take smart speakers as a device for an example where, where a lot of the interactive stories and stuff are usually kind of uh, interacted with. If you treat the smart speaker as another TV or another smartphone in terms of its ability or potential to be a content distributor uh, and you want to try and treat it with the same kind of standards that as you would treat kind of audible content uh, on other channels and I can, I can see how text-to-speech, for example, is way further down in terms of the quality of it. What's the impact of not addressing that that kind of stuff or not including, you know, voice talent in your skills? Yeah, it's a great question because, of course, we have to be aware of the fact that, you know, for a skill, you might have a huge amount of content to record. Um, and so a voice talent is going to take a long time and it's going to be expensive. So... In terms of impact, it's, I would say that it, it depends. Um, you know, it really depends on the scenario. I think in some situations, 
it's going to be very important. Like, uh, you know, I used the example of healthcare earlier. I think in that situation, you really need to be careful how things are said and to get the user's trust. Same with probably banking. Um, whereas if it's something that's, um, trying to think of examples, but like a weather skill or something like this, then I don't think people will care. They just want the information. And if it's presented in a way that uh, is, you know, enjoyable and doesn't take too long, they'll be happy. Um, so I would say in terms of impact, there are definitely different uh, degrees to where it could really affect the the impact of the skill. Hmm. Um, there is stuff out there. I mean, VoiceBot published a study that looked at human recorded audio and i think they found that human recorded audio versus text-to-speech has more chance of converting people uh into i think it's uh was it the try and upsell or something like that and uh, i think they found that the human recorded voice uh performed better and i'm sure i've come across research i, I forget where it's from but i'm pretty sure i've come across research um which showed that people struggle listening to text-to-speech over a long period of time. Yeah, we we actually found that when I was working in localization, we were uh, testing text-to-speech and we found that after about seven minutes, we were losing people. Whereas with a live voice talent, you, you know, of course with an audio book, you can go a long time, but generally for a tutorial or something, you could get maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes uh, without some kind of break in the material. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it really can make a difference. Um, there was also today voice bot, um, I saw Brett Kinsella shared a link, which was, I need to remember what this was. Um, it was, I think from the university of Waterloo, I guess I should probably check this. Um, but basically it was a, a study on how people relate to the voice assistants and uh, that word, how they anthropomorphize what mm -hmm. they're listening to. And according to this study, Siri came off quite badly. Oh yeah, um, I see that. Yeah, University yeah. of Waterloo study found consumers believe Siri is disingenuous and cunning compared to Alexa as genuine yeah. and caring. I would really love to read that report and find out more about it because it seems that they've only just released this uh, little trailer and, if, you know, they're actually going to present it, I think, in April. But, right. you know, that that's really it. Like, people are listening to this voice and they are imagining who they're talking to, even though it's it's a synthetic persona. It doesn't actually exist in the real world. Um, and that's, you know, that's apparently what all users do when they speak with a voice assistant, you know, um, it's in the Kathy Pearl book that, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a voice assistant with no personality. The user just imagines who they're talking to and fills in the gaps. So I would say that the designer really needs to consider this and make sure that it's going in the right direction. You know, you can't design every little tiny detail, but you need to make sure that you're not, uh, you're not getting the wrong result. You know, you need to consider the unhappy paths where the the way that the assistant is speaking isn't uh, undoing your good work when you designed it and created your script. Mm. So what's the, 
what's this what's the is that the solution then is that from what you were saying just there in terms of different things require a different approach so for the weather you mentioned text to speech might be fine but for something that is maybe a little bit more long form you might want to think about voice actors is the solution to just take it on a case-by-case basis and use the appropriate voice talent depending on your scenario? Or is there still a case for pushing forward the kind of innovation on the text-to-speech and hope that somehow at some point we'll be able to control all kinds of intonation kind of uh, features with text-to-speech? Yeah, it's another great question because... I think, you know, text-to-speech is going to be used more and more, as is voice cloning. You know, they're, they're very similar technologies um, in my eyes. And I would say that we, you know, we have to use text-to-speech because it's so um, convenient. And especially on quick projects where there's lots of iterations, you know, you you really need that instant result. I would say that... A hybrid approach, you know, that's that's probably where the the solution lies. If if you have material that you're sure this isn't going to change, then why not get a voice actor to to read it in the most engaging way possible? And then uh, that becomes a, a sonic logo, so to speak. It becomes familiar that users come back to and they relate it to your material. Uh, whereas if there's something which you're going to, you know that you're going to have to uh, adjust and improve upon or um, you know that there will be new material added, then probably text-to-speech or voice cloning is the best way. And I would say that voice cloning itself, it does kind of straddle the two areas where you can use a voice actor and then um, synthesize new material based on their voice. Uh, if if you use um, you know Lyrebird or Resemble or uh, voice cloning technology, mm. so yeah, I would say it's it's going to be a hybrid. I think text to speech, considering how much development is happening in that area, it's just going to get better and better. I have no doubt. And of course, now they have two emotions. You know, it, this this is only going to get better and better. I hope to the point where we will be able to design quite uh, human-sounding emotions, if that makes sense. And, you know, it will need to be designed. Suddenly you're going to be the designer looking at, like, you know, I don't know, 200 or so emotions and all of the shades in between. And then what do you pick? What's suitable for the scenario? Mm. So it's almost as though the job of the designer becomes not just the flow and the kind of general, I suppose, structure uh, and the, the dialogue, but then it's it's more around the delivery of that dialogue as well. Yeah, how it engages the user at that point in time. Mm. Well, you also Whether... asked us in, you, you seem seem fairly... Uh, Fairly quiet. Are you are you soaking it all in and uh, and thinking about it, or are you uh, sitting on the fence a little bit? What's your thoughts? No, I think this is fascinating. I uh, lo- unlike UK, and I don't have as much expertise in this field, but certainly it's interesting to see where where technology fails today, and and think about where it might excel in the future. 
it's a little scary in a sense. <laughs> I, you know, we talk a lot about deep fakes, et cetera, et cetera. But if we do get to the point where uh, we already have uh, photos that are of fake people that look like real people, what happens when we have voices that sound like real people? Uh, I think certainly, you know, we talk a lot about duplex, right? And mm-hmm. and that sounded really real, but it is within a very, I think you would say this, Ben, it was within a very narrow domain. Uh, yeah. No one's no one's calling, duplex isn't calling anyone crying, right? Uh, yeah. But it will be exciting to see and maybe a little bit frightening as well to see where this heads. Yeah, um, just to comment on that, you know, of course, I really hope that it doesn't go into areas where it's manipulating people in an extreme way. Of course, who knows what will be done with it. But I would say just to create empathy with the user on a, you know, like if, if you go into the shop, you know, any shop that you like to go into, there's probably someone who serves you there that you like that you go back to them and you don't have any kind of dramatic conversation, but you feel that this person is serving you well, like they care about you getting um, a good experience. And that's how I see this, that it's it's not about any kind of extremes of emotion like you would get in uh, in a film, in dramatic media. It's more about the subtleties and the way that we just naturally talk to each other. We 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 manipulate our voice just to to you know draw each other in closer or to to make something seem lighter than it actually is just because we we don't all want to be serious all the time. Mm, that is Does really, it make really, sense? That makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. That is really really interesting stuff, and I'm glad we we got to to get into detail about that because I think you're right in terms of text to speech has come a long way, and we're seeing you know new sort of innovations and and kind of the things being taken forward all the time. And you're right, it depends on the use case. If you just want the weather, it might not necessarily be as important. But I do think that if if these assistants are to be what they could be and what the kind of potential of them is, which is to be that thing that is ever there and, and always on hand to kind of do whatever you need it to do, then there does need to be a degree of trust in there. And ultimately, humans build relationships through you know, a number of different ways. One might be your body language, it might be eye contact, but I think that your voice and how you talk to someone certainly is a real important way of how we build relationships and how we communicate with each other. And I think that you, I think you've hit the nail on the head with with how things are said being being important, just as important as what's actually said in the first place. Thanks. What, what, Thanks. Um, where can people kind of reach out to you then, Ben, if, you know, if they want to kind of get their hands on some of your dialogue crafting majesty, uh, wow. where can people go to reach out to you and find out a little bit more about what you're up to? Yeah, cheers. So um, my website is conch.design. So that would be a good place. But also I'm usually on LinkedIn, you know, that's my social media of choice. So um, I'm really happy to talk to anybody who wants to know more. Um, just reach out to me. And, you know, I I am freelance, but I, I love to work with startups. I, I would consider roles uh, in, in, in any companies who think that I might be useful. Um, so, yeah, please, let's start a conversation. Cool. Nice pun at the end there. Finally, any, 
Any um, any resources that you would recommend for people who want to learn more, yeah. either about dialogue design or about kind of sound design in general? Anything that will help uh, designers and developers research and learn a little bit more about how they might be able to improve the audible experiences that they're creating? Yeah, sure. It's a great question or a great thing to share. Um, there is a fantastic documentary called I Know That Voice. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, I Know That Voice and it's basically uh, a lot of the best voice artists in Hollywood uh, talking about their craft. And there they really go into developing the, the characters you know how the characters speak and uh, it's i love it it's a really great great film um there is another a book called the human voice i'll need to check but i think the author is called Anne carp and this was actually the first book i read on voice and it really just hooked me i don't know if many people know about it because it was published about i think 15 years ago or so and it goes into intonation uh, quite early on, and there's a lot of very good points in there. Um, so these two, I would say, are fantastic. But of course, really, uh, we don't have to go far to listen to people talking, you know? Like, I remember you had a great uh, podcast with, um, is it Man Made Music? Um, yeah. yeah, Joel yeah. Beckerman. Yeah. And he said, you know, he advised people just go and listen to the world and, you know, open up your ears. And it's really the same, you know, you can, it's, it's maybe not advisable to sit on a bus or a subway and listen closely to what people are saying around you, but, but it's very easy to catch snippets of how people talk to each other. Even if you're in a shop in a queue, uh, listen to, you know, how the shopkeeper speaks to the customers and is it good? Is it bad? Are they doing it right? Or a doctor, you know, um, I've had very good and very bad experiences with doctors where sometimes I didn't feel that I trusted them. Mm. And why was that? It could be body language. It could be some signs, you know, just in the way they're acting or maybe it's in their empathy in the way that they connected with me. Um, so yeah, these are some that I would recommend if I, th you know, I'll try and think of some more and I can share them with you and maybe you can put them in the, the, um, the webpage for the podcast. Yeah. 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 Show notes. Yeah. Definitely. You mentioned the, um, the Joel Beckerman podcast and that podcast is one of the most listened to and still gets quite a lot of people listening to it. Even today, and it was last year, I think it was, and it still gets quite a lot of listens. And I think it's because it's opening the door and shining the light into an area of the industry that doesn't get anywhere near as much attention as I think is warranted. And I think that this conversation that we've had delving into text-to-speech recorded voices and the importance of how you say something to build relationships with people to encourage that long-term engagement. I think this is just as deep and just as valid as the conversation we had with Joel Beckerman. So I'm confident that this is going to be one of those evergreen conversations that people will still be listening to this time next year, without a doubt. So Ben, thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely immense. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's really lovely to talk to you. And um, yeah, I really hope that this is going to be useful to, to your listeners. Yeah, thanks so much, Ben. That was Ben McCulloch of Conch Design. Thank you, Ben, for joining us. I, I, 
I really, really enjoyed that conversation and I'm confident that you will have done as well if you've made it this far. If you've made it this far, it's a good sign. Um, I mentioned at the end there that uh, the episode we did with Joel Beckerman was one of one of the most downloaded and listened to podcast episodes and, and I'm confident that this will be too. And, and the reason for that is because what we've been trying to do is to bring some voices to the podcast that can challenge what we might see as the norm and I think that we do see text-to-speech as the norm and whenever Alexa or Amazon announce that there is uh, you know a new emotion or the newsreader voice it gets to be honest well warranted publicity but when you compare it to a real human voice it still is it still has a, a bit of a way to go and I think you know the research that VoiceBot did looking at human voices versus text-to-speech voices uh, was an interesting study and I think that Ben's experience in dialogue editing and working with dialogue for so long in different languages and different locales uh, he's got a really really interesting perspective and when he said at the very beginning he said that the first time I heard text-to-speech I thought and then I thought he was going to say, I thought, oh my God, this is fantastic. But what he actually said was, oh my God, this is terrible. So it's really interesting how people who maybe aren't from an audio production background might look at text-to-speech and think that it's fantastic to be able to generate speech on the fly. And it is, it really is, uh, compared to you know having to bring a, a voice actor in and record the whole thing. But it's so interesting to get someone who's been working with dialogue for so long to share their thoughts on what they think about it and how different that can be. And I do think that, as I mentioned towards the end, if voice assistants are going to become the go-to companions, our digital companions that are there on hand to do what we need them to do when we need them to do it, and we end up building the same kind of connection to our voice assistants as we do to our mobile phone... And believe it or not, we do have an emotional connection to our mobile phone. You just pick up someone's phone when it's unlocked and watch the terror in their face as you start browsing through their phone. We are so connected to those devices emotionally that it's unbelievable. And I think that for us to develop the same kind of emotional connection to our voice assistants and to trust them enough to be able to bank on them and to be able to do the kind of things that we do on mobile shop and all that kind of stuff, trust it with our data, then we do need to have that emotional bond. And I think that how it speaks is just as important as what is actually said in helping to achieve that. So thank you, Ben, for joining us. Thank you, Dustin, as always. And as always, boys and girls, thank you all for listening. Until next time, see you later. Bye.